0: Welcome to The Dental Deep Dive, where we dive into industry trends and best practices for optimizing your dental organization while providing the best possible experience and care for patients. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of The Dental Deep Dive. I'm your host, David Danielson, and today we're going into part two of our conversation we had with Mike White. And in this episode, Mike's really going to dive into a little bit more detail on benchmarking, particularly looking at P&Ls, how you should be evaluating your data, when you should evaluate it. We're also going to dive into when should we bring accounting in-house. There are certain tipping points in organizations as we grow when we're going to want to make hard decisions, and he really gives us some great insight in how to do that. And with that, let's dive in what are you seeing in the world of benchmarking for P&Ls? Like, this has got to be the probably the question you get asked all the time. How am I compared to everybody else, right?
1: Yeah, and, and the good news for us, at least, is we've been doing this so long. We've tracked thousands and thousands of locations. A lot of banks, a lot of lenders, a lot of financial partners look to us for those standards. So when we we look at each one of our practices that we have the opportunity to work with, we're letting them know out of the gate, here, here's what to expect, here are the goals we're working towards. And so much of that, again, it gets back to the accountability. I remember one group we worked with last year, large group, 30, 40 million in revenue, tremendous opportunity on EBITDA. And we went in there and assessed, and they were below 5%, 10% on EBITDA. And we're like, you need to be at 22%. And we we mapped out how to get there. And within six weeks, we'd already improved EBITDA to 75000 a month. And a lot of it was just accountability. It's somebody's owning that matrix, somebody's owning overtime, somebody's owning the supply bill, somebody's owning staffing utilization, things along those lines. So the benchmark conversation gets up, is very much a conversation. I do a lot of presentations around KPIs, and I, you know, I could rattle them off all here today. And you know, we're so entrenched in it. But to your earlier point you made as well, what we're also seeing is. They're slicing the apple even finer than they used to, right? It used to be six to seven KPIs we really tracked, but now we're taking production per patient and bifurcating it down to CPT code and uh, and doctor provider and analysis and things like that, insurance reimbursement. So you're really getting into the granularity of how do you move that needle, you know, when you only have so many hours in a day to see patients. How do you move the needle within that practice? So.
0: That that reminds me, we should bring you back just for an episode on KPIs. <laughs> just
1: KPIs. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we could talk about it for an hour for sure.
1: Uh, we absolutely could. No, and you know, there's so many within y'all system. But if you think about the KPIs I'm rattling, they're all in your system, and they're all in the software you guys are, are so heavily, you know, managing and helping the, the practices run. And it's so critical for them to get it right. And you know, a lot of times some of our lowest paid employees or, or front desk are or, or the ones managing that system that we need critical data out of. So getting them set up for success is so critical.
0: Yeah, for sure. So this comes back to another good set of questions that I get asked a lot, which is, is how often should we look at our metrics? How often should we look at our PL? Is this a weekly activity, a monthly activity, quarterly? Like, it's funny because I have my opinions but you're the expert so yeah
1: well and I'd love to hear those as well I mean we there are things that you you should look at daily we, we talked about our daily huddle reports and the things that come out of our our Henry shine system and, and making sure that we're looking at production per day you know total patient count new patients coming in things along those lines those are really critical daily weekly measures you know p and l's we have some groups that are looking at things on a weekly basis daily, There's so much cyclicality in a day and you're not really booking accrual entries on a a daily basis weekly. You're booking a monthly. So we think it's really critical for groups to get to at least a monthly standard. And I say this today. I mean, what I still see today is when I ask, you know, every new client we work with, we we do a free evaluation. And nine times out of 10, I'm looking at three-month-old P&Ls and balance sheets. And, you know, so it's, it's not commonplace that practice owners or accountants are servicing uh, other groups monthly. And it's so important for you to understand what's going on with your practice, what the impacts are, what the decisions are you made this month, how they impact you 30 days from now, 60 days from now. So that's how I look at things at least monthly, you know, quarterly around tax estimates and stuff, but at least monthly on your financials. What were your thoughts?
0: Well, and to be fair, it comes back to what your KPIs are, what you're trying to hit for goals. I find that practices are more successful when the KPIs front and center. And some of those KPIs are things you can track almost real time. Some of them are daily. Some of them are weekly. I do agree with monthly P&Ls. I think everybody should be balancing their books basically monthly just to know where is everything at. Plus, the trend value out of looking at it monthly is seriously advantageous. It's funny, I I really don't see people running quarterlies as much because they're really trying to dial into the monthlies. And then a lot of year-over-year work. I'm starting to see more people get more interested in year-over-year progress. Those are the areas where I think people are really saying, hey... Is my collections process better this year yeah. than it was last year? Yeah. And and it's not just the number because the number could have been from you brought on a new doctor, you brought in like you, you got to look at, hey, is this actual as a percentage of change? Is this better or not? And I think that's something that I'm starting to see more attention to. And I, I think those are great signals. So,
1: yeah, you know, the importance of what you just said is when you're looking at monthly financials, don't just look at a static one month pull a trailing 12 month, a rolling trailing 12 month backwards and a projected trailing 12 month or forward 12 month forward, you know, put budgets in place. And I know a lot of people out there don't do budgets and don't want to do budgets. Um, don't know the importance of it, but it's setting goals. It's setting accountable and you don't have to, you know, I, would love you to budget the whole PL and and set goals, but you know, if nothing else, dental supplies, lab staffing matrix, Revenue goals, production, collections, conversion ratio—all those things. High-level KPIs. Pick eight or nine things. Somebody who's going to own them and budget to those.
0: No, I think that's great. I I really don't see that much budgeting. Uh, to be fair, not as much as you do in more sophisticated industries. I mean, we're all mm-hmm. hey, where's my sales guy, and what yeah. are you forecasting? <laughs> yes. And I mean, I, it's like something—it's lifeblood for most organizations yes. in dentistry. Only a handful of customers I've talked to really do set up good forecasting, planning, you know, future casting. So,
1: and we recommend it to every, everybody just, and we, we there's cyclicality, there's cyclicality in every industry that we all work in. So measuring that and understanding when your dips are and, you know, when you should take vacation, when you shouldn't, and those kind of things, when you bring on that next associate and next hygienist, all those good things.
0: Yeah. I love that. So one of the things I love about the podcast is that I get asked really hard questions. So uh, (laughs) I'm trying to create value for the listeners, right? Obviously, I think one thing that people do want to know are what are those red flags? You know, I'm pulling up my financials. I haven't been as faithful at tracking them. What what are those red flag areas I need to look for, uh, you know, that I really want to focus in on?
1: You know, I, I'm going to start with, we all, we've been talking about the P and L profit and loss statement, income statement, you know, most of this call, what I'm going to really focus on now is the balance sheet. If the balance sheet isn't correct, the profit and loss can't be. And so often I, when I ask for those that free assessment, I ask for financials, I just get the P and L and I'm like, what about the balance sheet? Oh, I don't, I don't really look at that. Okay. So the importance of critical is pull open your balance sheet and look at, are there negative assets, negative liabilities? Are there, are there due tos and due froms if you have more than one location that the numbers don't agree? And I see this frequently where it's, you know, I have a hundred thousand due to where I loan money to the new practice to set up and open their books. And yet on that side of the books, it only says 60,000 is owed back. So where did the 40,000 go? And I see that so often where you're dealing with multiple entities and the intercompany accounting doesn't tie. Well, that's expenses and income that you're leaving on and off the books that are impacting your, your financial results. You know, on the PL basis, setting it up in a good standard chart of accounts. And I, you know, standard is such an open discussion. Everybody's got their standards, but, you know, getting it critical to at least an EBITDA format is really critical in making sure as you're thinking through your profit and loss for each location. If there's shared expenses, what's your allocation methodology? If there are shared staff, how are you splitting time to capture the P&L? If you have corporate overhead or people, regional managers, are you just paying them out of one practice or are you splitting them or do you have a management company? Truly understanding, okay, if I step back to my financials and some somebody like you or I, Dave, we're, we're uh, looking through this, what would we say? What would we pick apart? And that's that says business owners, they're they're entrepreneurs. Guys, this is your story. This is something you're trying to build. What's the story you're trying to tell?
0: It's really interesting because, you know, we used to have this term when I was in graduate school. We have this term that says behind every number there's a person. <laughs> and <laughs> and you you need to know who's the person behind that number. Yeah. And sometimes those lines get really blurry for practices. And so you don't know like. Is this normal? Is this and I think that's important that I really liked how you talked about KPIs and really having owners assigned to them because that's really how those balance sheet numbers that there's somebody had tied to that number. It went yeah. from somewhere to somebody else, yeah. you know. It did. And I think that having some type of visibility into the impact of those decisions really creates that that long-term sustainability that we want in those models. So conceptually, how do you think practices should think about their numbers? Like I, I don't think it should be a noose, right? I, I, it's certainly not, but I do think that, I think there's some areas that I think I'd like to get your feedback on and, you know, how should they think about their, their numbers? How, how should they treat that?
1: You know, it's, it's such a great question because, and I, I'm, I'm sure you've had this conversation, what happens when you start changing from laissez-faire as far as what you care about in your financials? And now you're asking your office manager, your regional managers, your operations team, well, we care about this number. Well, the perception could be, well, now you're greedy. Now all you do is care about numbers. All we're going to do is talk about numbers. So there's got to be a point around your culture, your commitment, how many, what, how many patients you're you're serving whatever those goals are, it can't just be about another revenue number or another EBITDA number. You're absolutely right. I remember this one Peter ortho group that we worked with and they had a commitment. Every patient they saw, they donated a toothbrush, right? So it was really a, a powerful message. So people were empowered by giving more toothbrushes, even though they were seeing more patients, but that's what the empowerment was around that one. So as you think about your own culture the commitment you're making how you you know specify and, and interact with your team don't all of a sudden flip the switch and just start rattling off kpis and and stuff really introduce how that works why this information is important and what we're trying to do with it
0: i think you really hit on something i think really strategically important because you know a lot of people look at case acceptance and and one side that's hey this is personal profitability for our organization yeah but on the other side of it it's oral health and improve life for the for the patient receiving it and i think you can really use the numbers to help you say hey am i providing as much quality care to the community as i want to and i and i think sometimes is figuring out what that give and take is and helping your team understand that i'm chasing this number and yes it's a profitability indicator but it's also a representation of how much good we're doing in the community and how much we're giving back and And I think without that, I I think people, you can go down maybe a tricky track, (laughs) slippery
1: slope, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) absolutely.
0: So Mike, just kind of wrapping up here, I just want to get some final thoughts. Yeah. One of the things that I get asked a lot, which I think is probably better placed towards you than to me, is, you know, if I'm a DSO, what should I be keeping in-house? Like, what should I do inside the firm? What should I do outside with an outside organization? Because obviously I know the importance. I mean, we listen to the podcast. We know why we're tracking numbers. <laughs> but, you know, there's this part of it where it's like, okay, well, how much? How much do I want to keep in-house? And, and when do I bring more in? Can you talk, share some thoughts on that?
1: I can, and, I, and I'll speak to from an accounting perspective, but touch on HR, touch on some of IT functions. So when you start thinking about all the centralized functions that you could have and all the seat suites that you eventually may want, depending on what your evolution is, director of HR, director of business development, a CFO, IT, billing manager, all those functions, and you keep rattling them off. A lot of functions, especially from zero to three, three to 15 locations, a lot of those functions can be outsourced. But as you start growing your life cycle and growing your business, we've seen inflection points. Accounting, we've seen up to 20, 25 locations make sense to outsource because you're staffing a controller, a senior, an assistant controller, a CFO, you know, staff accountants, AP clerks. Fractionally, when you try to hire all those people together, you're looking at a million dollars of salary. So we start seeing that that becomes the inflection point at 25 locations. We're recommending that they start bringing some people in-house, but we don't go away. We just repurpose our, our job and our duties. HR, some of those same functions, right? When you start thinking out of the gate, there are several fractional HR solutions out there that will help you process payroll, oversee employee onboarding, oversee you know, terminations and annual reviews. But at some point, it makes sense, whether it be for recruiting purposes or just general HR, to bring that HR person in-house. But $25 million is is really where I start seeing $25 million in revenue is where I see a lot of inflection points happening all at once. At seven locations, six to seven, we say you bring in your first regional manager. At at 15 locations, you're going to have another regional manager and probably an operations director that's going to oversee those two regional managers. It really depends on the entrepreneur, the CEO, doctor, how much chair time they're still doing, what they're focused on and what their goals are. And then, of course, what expertise do they have at the practice level that they can elevate up to the, the uh, corporate? So every, I say it depends across the board, but at the same time, there are inflection points that are really good, uh, consistent inflection points around that process.
0: And I think that was super valuable insight because I think sometimes it's not knowing what to do next. I think that's always the hardest question to answer for practices, which is, hey, I've really been focused on this and I want to focus on that next. I think knowing when to really start wrangling around, hey, how much of this accounting work do we really want to do? (laughs) And, you know, can we have somebody come in and support us and say, hey, train my people to do it this way because then you'll get a better output over here. I think that's infinitely valuable. I I really love that teaching model where we help practices grow the chops the financial chops that they need so that they can grow over time and, and get where they want to be. So
1: it's important for them to ask questions. I mean, I would say the great thing, and I think, you know, you've been in this industry a long time with me. Dentistry is a welcoming, you know, the conferences, the associations, and I know Henry shine has got another conference coming up. People are really open at these conferences, not so much behind the doors, but at these conferences, it becomes a whole different, interesting vibe where we've seen so much great information shared peer to peer, not just from vendors like myself, but peer-to-peer of experiences. And that's so it's why I love dentistry and it's why I love to to focus on this space.
0: Yeah. And that's partly why we did the podcast, just so that you know, because everything was cult knowledge. It was so hard to to have this behind the scenes conversation with somebody because it was yeah. like, hey, it happened at a conference and I'm like, Nobody else knows that. <laughs> There's just so much good stuff out there. And I really wanted, you know, our organizations like, how can we support uh, different practices? And this is one of those ways to share best practices the best we can. So yeah. so with that, yes. you know, if people wanted to learn more about Mike White and CLA, what's the best way to get a hold of you? How can they get in touch with you?
1: You know, hopefully we can put something at the, at the end of this with my phone number or email address and all that good stuff. By all means, reach out. Uh, if you're going to any of the conferences i will most likely be there and i'm six foot eight so hard to miss in the crowd so you know love to connect and talk to any one of you and and again our our initial call our initial conversations are all free of charge we want to get to know you and make sure we're a good fit go to the cla website look for mike white and and you'll find me that way as well there's definitely uh, several ways you know linkedin all that fun stuff too so I look forward to connecting with anybody who wants to chat and and I appreciate the time today.
0: This has been so great. Mike, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. It's always great to catch you after the end of the year (laughs) just to see what's going on for the next year. So this is great. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Have a great day, everybody.
0: And that's a wrap for part two of our interview with Mike White. I really think that we got a ton of value out of these two conversations. If you missed the first one, don't forget to go back and listen to it. It was absolutely fantastic. In the first conversation, we really focused in on key trends, talking specifically about what's going on in M&A activity, whether we should centralize or not centralize, and some of his recommendations on how to think about it. And in this episode, we really focused in on key areas for benchmarking how you should be looking at your financial statements, when you should be looking at them. We really focused in on some of those red flag areas to highlight and benefit the progress of your groups. And the last thing that I really thought was a key takeaway was really looking at our strategy around financial practices. When should we be bringing somebody on full-time? How much should we outsource and when? And I think those are really fantastic insights. Really like to extend our thanks to Mike White again. And thank you for joining us on this episode of The Dental Deep Dive. We'd like to thank our sponsor Dentrix Enterprise for sponsoring this episode of The Dental Deep Dive. For many of you out there who are looking to optimize your AR collections process or even provide more financial stability in your practice, if you'd like to learn more about how Dentrix Enterprise can help you achieve your goals, please visit them at DentrixEnterprise.com forward slash dental deep dive.